my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm off my game today. No, you're not. That's true. People are going to have to start making better content. I think we're going to be talking about this for a long time. When you program for everyone, you program for no one. I think it's that we're a purpose-driven platform. Like, we're trying to get to substance. How was that? Are you happy with that? Yeah. This is marketing therapy right now. It it really is. (laughs) What's up? I'm Laura Carrenti. And I'm Alexa Kristen. Welcome back to Adlandia. Episode Episode four. four. I like even numbers. Yes, and this week we have podcast OG and Atlas Obscura CEO David Plotz on the show. We like to call him Plotzy. Yes, Plotzy. And he was okay with it. Yeah, somehow. So we talk a lot about Atlas Obscura with him and how experiences and a media company are coming together. Converging. And creating audiences that I think people didn't even know existed. Yeah, this whole idea of offline experience built from online discovery is one that we were super fascinated with and really excited to talk to David later in the show. But first, we want to have a conversation about some of the things that have been happening with a lot of traditional publishers. Yeah. So if you've been following Atlandia podcast on Twitter, you'll notice a flurry of tweets over the last few weeks that have been focused on this convergence of legacy publishers. So in the news 
Fox, Turner, and Viacom. Exactly. Who have um, come together to talk about the future of measurement as it relates to broadcast and presumably cable television and saying that we as an industry need to challenge the way standards have been bought. You know, this is preceding this year's upfront, which will be interesting to see how the implications and how people think about buying models when you've got three of the biggest broadcast cable networks standing up and saying, we know that our audiences are proliferating across technology. We know that viewing behaviors have changed. And we also know that the whole person becomes a part that a brand and an advertiser want to get to, right? Right. And so you've got this interesting tension now happening where you've got a a model that is quickly approaching later in the second quarter, which asks brands to commit dollars based on upfront ratings, old models. Old models. So now how do you ask advertisers to pay premium for a model you just profusely claimed is broken? And by the way, on the same platforms that you've been using. So I think it's big media companies are going at audience in different ways. So you've got the Turner Fox Viacom relationship and they're talking about, okay, we've got to take data. We've got to look at it across the networks, right? And have a different conversation about who the audience is and how we're going to reach them collectively. Right. So you've got that model. You've got the scale game that others are playing with the convergence of NBC, Vox, And now Condé Nast coming to the table to reach a wider and presumably deeper audience pool that currently exists in their network. So what what does that totally mean? That means you can buy, right, across NBC, Vox, and we say Vox V. V-O-X. V-O-X. Through the Condé portfolio. And totally get why... NBC and Vox partnered in early days, right? NBC was looking to go younger, looking for new thought leadership, especially around people like Kara Swisher and Recode and leaning into those really smart, super smart smart. micro uh, communities or subcultures. Yeah. And then Condé came to the table. And when Condé came to the table, it set off that red flag. We call it the flare. It was like that. Well, we describe it as the flare going off. Cam, we're looking for a sound effect for the flare. (laughs) And when that happened, right, it's confusion because Condé Nast presumably has the quality of content. But are they really pulling the audience? Are they pulling the audience? And then are you competing with Vox? You're both going down very niche paths. So that one is a really interesting one and and one we need to watch because it signals a couple of things to me. And I'm not sure what direction it's going. And I don't know what you think about it. On the other side, the Viacom, Fox and Turner, I find that one to be more interesting because they were the first major networks to say, we have to think about this differently. And we recognize that audiences aren't just made up of simple age, sex, and location demographics, right? That we've got. We are to, far past the to, AOL to, generation. <laughs> we are far past the AOL generation. We've got to market to the whole person. Right. And so I think that that one is more interesting about listen, we know that we have got this audience, but we're going to get really fucking smart about who they are, right? Totally agree. Amen, sister. Peace. David Mike Plotz. Drop. David Plotz will Coming see up you next, soon. talking about audience and building experiences within a media company. We'll be right back. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. 
Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. Is getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. 
Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School Podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come along with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and, of course, drama. I'll be joined by some very special guests that'll be helping me break it all down. From award season nightmares to fashion week insanity, you'll get the real stories behind some of the most iconic moments in the show. The Rachel Zoe Project definitely changed my life and career in so many ways. The show definitely captured some of the most amazing moments, but also some of the absolute worst. I made the show for all the fashion lovers out there, and I'm so happy that people still watch it and love it so much. So do not miss this special takeover on Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Not believe I just said that. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. So, welcome back, everybody, to Atlanta. We are so excited to have the OG of podcasting, David Plot, in the house. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. And I just have to say, OG of podcasting with uh, GabFest, you are co host of Political GabFest, correct? I am. We've been doing it since the year the word podcast was coined. We have been podcasting that long. But you didn't a coin very it. long time. Didn't coin it. No. <laughs> but you could have. Definitely would have coined it had someone else not beaten me to it. So you become kind of an unofficial mentor to us. And we'll talk about that because I think that's really interesting about podcasting in general and 
uh, some of the advice you've given us, if that's cool. Happily. Yes. Yeah. Emoji yeah. prayer hands is our sign of the day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. But I think first, we got to know you when you were at Slate. You were the editor-in-chief at Slate. And now you are on the business side. You're the CEO of Atlas Obscura, a new media company, right, that is really blending experience and media together. Yes, that is extremely well put. So in 2014, I took over what was a beautiful little venture that had been started by uh, Joshua Four and Dylan Thuris. And they had created this site called Atlas Obscura, which is where people could share knowledge of the world's unusual places. So like the secret apartment at the top of the Eiffel Tower or the... Splunking in New York City subways. Yes. I love that. Yes, splunking in New York City subways. (laughs) Or do you know if you take the six train past the end, you can take it past the end. And you keep going. Like they legally? Won't, they, legally. They won't kick you off because it, it goes and does a turnaround. You can stay on it and you go into this abandoned city hall station, which is this beautiful station that was built in the early 20th century. It's gorgeous. It's lit. And you can just get a glance of it as you just so go by. the next by, podcast we're going on the 6th. I actually six. think we go on the 6th. We do a record if we can. Is that considered splunking if you go on a subway? No, splunking. I think no. You got you to like, like, climb. You got to climb stuff. in. Yeah. We could do that, too. I don't know if you want to see me climbing on the six. I do, do not encourage your <laughs> listeners to spelunk. Nobody spelunk. There's nobody, no spelunk. Nobody spelunk. But Atlas is talking about the it's, unknown travel and yeah. treasures. And the right? idea and the idea that Dylan and Josh had was that we're all explorers. That everyone's an explorer. You don't might not know it. You're an explorer. But around the corner from you is something that is going to surprise you. And it's going to delight you and amaze you. And we're going to give you that experience digitally. So we created this huge compendium, or rather our users created this huge compendium of these unusual places around the world. That's part of it. But also we created experiences for people so that you can come with us and go hike to the secret fort in the middle of Rock Creek Park in Washington, D.C., or come do a falconry workshop in the desert with us. What is a falconry workshop? You get to like hunt with a falcon. No way. That's cool. That's Uh, cool. Yeah. That will really we take brought, me outside my comfort zone. My favorite, yeah, the, my favorite thing that we did at Atlas since I've been there, well, there's so many things, but one is that we took over this bar in Greenpoint one night. So it was, had about 75 people in this bar at Broken Land. You like kicked out all the hipsters and uh, brought your own we, in. We brought our own hipsters. <laughs> bring your own hipsters. Bring your own hipsters. Bring your own hipsters. I love it. It was, uh, they, the hipsters paid us to be there. And we brought a wolf to the bar. And so the door opened. Everyone realized, oh, this is when the wolf comes. And the bar went totally dead silent. And then you hear, I can't reenact it, but the clatter of these wolf claws on the wooden floor. It was incredible. One of the cool things you've talked to us a bit about is how you've kind of went at this idea of the problem of building brand in the modern media world. You talk about how Google and Facebook own your audience, and it's very difficult for you to kind of go and do things cost-effectively. Right. I think I mean, one of the things that you guys, I'm sure, experience like all the time is that if you're a media site, and you think you have an audience, but really your audience is coming to you because that someone has sent them a Facebook link or they maybe saw you on Snapchat Discover, um, that the platform owns your audience. You don't own your audience. Your audience doesn't necessarily know who you are. They don't they follow the link and they see your story and you get to count them as someone who's seen you, yeah. but they don't really know who you are. And I think one of the, the that's a very um, deadly position to be in because all of a sudden these people who you think are connected to you the way a newspaper subscriber used to be connected to the newspaper that they paid for, they're not connected to you. They don't care. They don't really know. You they were just a flip in the feed. F- exactly. Yeah. I haven't used that. That's a good expression. Yeah. And so our premise is that, that, um, 
if we can build genuine like community and genuine sort of real experiences for people that we can then create a brand that actually has meaning for them. And people are coming. So like your community, right, of of readers or I don't even know what you call them, like explorers, right, are contributing to the events, contributing to some of the like local points that you right. guys are talking about. Yeah. Do you recruit them? Do they just talk to you guys and say, hey, this is something that's really cool? Like, how do you guys find those people? Well, it depends. Some of some of them find us. They're, in every town, there's somebody who knows, like, here's the weird history, or here's the house that Al Capone lived in for seven years when he was a kid, or whatever particular thing it is. There's always someone in town who knows it. And sometimes they have an outlet, but often they don't have an outlet. So, so they stumble across us, and then they start to contribute. There's this kid, I shouldn't call him a kid, he's a full-grown adult in Washington named Elliot Carter, who knows more about Washington, D.C. and its distinctive history than anybody. And he kind of found me and said, I took him out to coffee one day and here's this person. Now, every time I turn around, he's like pointed out some other incredible thing. There's this, uh, like, do you know the U.S. Constitution is at the National Archives? Mm. And every night, so you can go see it. I don't know if you've ever seen it, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Yeah. And every night there's this mechanism, this elevator that lowers it into a safe in the ground. I lived in D.C. I can tell you my my tours of D.C. are different than finding the Constitution. I was there for college. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're bars. They're yeah. useful bars. Yes. Bars with great history, too. Yes, they're but amazing bars. I love this idea of modern folklore. I was actually um, on the train the other day going home to Connecticut, and I was on At Atlas Obscura's website. And it immediately geolocated me and was like, here are things in Connecticut. And there were things like I am like, oh, I live in Stanford, Connecticut. Ho-hum. There were some really cool things that I had never, I had no idea about. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's really, that's really interesting. Like how do brands, because I think something that we've talked a lot about, Laura and I have talked a lot about is this idea of local community becoming more important, especially post-election, like what's happening in your local community? Do you really know who are the voices? Who are the people? You know, how do brands start tapping into something that Atlas Obscura is doing in certain communities that are important to them? That's a really good question. Let me think about that. I think one way is in now, and I think eight U.S. cities, we have what are called Atlas Obscura societies. And these are local organizations and they're run by somebody who works for us usually in a part-time basis and every week they're putting together local experiences so in washington dc i noticed that we we're going to do a tasting of george washington's whiskey and so there'll be a whiskey really tasting cool. down at Mount That's Vernon. That's like getting a, to know Sans, the pres a, a totally different side of the president. Huge. He was a huge right? distiller. I, no, my I didn't know that. Yeah. Somewhere my boyfriend is yeah. putting in next trip. Yeah. <laughs> Washington, <laughs> D.C. George Washington's yeah. whiskey. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, so just that's one way a brand could engage. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, we've been doing these trips. Doers, if you're listening. Yeah. Johnny Walker, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, like a historic whiskey tour. Be amazing. There's all this kind of great whiskey history through Appalachia and Kentucky. You could do so much cool stuff. So, David, when you talk a lot about, you know, these um, new ways of curating experiences and this blend of what we call like mixed reality, right? You've got the offline thing happening. You've got the online curation of editorial. One of the interesting uh, lines I've heard of late came from Jed Hartman, the CRO of um, Washington Post. He said to us, you know, we're at a time when you're always um, one click away from somebody never coming back to your site. 
And in a, in a space where you're playing in, in a world that's blurred, how are you gauging the effectiveness and success of Atlas Obscura? What does that look like? Well, we're in a lot of different lines of businesses. So we have published a book. We you know, are piloting podcasts. We do digital media. We do events. We do international trips. So there are a lot of different ways we can measure success. Mm-hmm. I think like most people, we look at the t- kind of top line audience number, but that is not sufficient. I mean, that's sort of just like you get a Reddit spike and all of a sudden your top line audience number looks great. So we are trying to and I could use some advice. I mean, we're trying to get some kind of measurement which kind of combines the durability of time on site with like user action around events and, you know, buying things from us. But because we're a young brand, that's all, we're, it's all kind of yeah. a crash. I think one of the things I went off earlier about yeah. this, I was like, I want to talk to David about this. I want to say like, why even have a website today? And I think that that's an interesting question for you. And then let's take it further. Like, I think that you guys are well positioned to do something totally different in terms of how content comes to life via experience and only have that be the centerpiece. You just position Atlas Obscura as a parent company. That's a collective of different revenue streams, right? And different platforms that exist, which... Kudos to you, because I think a lot of brands are trying to figure out how they go off platform. And so I think you have an advantage there. But the other side is website. It's like go off of like, yeah, dot com. But the other part that's interesting is also to your advantage is you don't have audience. You have explorers. So to me, the fact that people can go deep and they're not there to just click on an article and keep moving. They're there to immerse themselves in an experience and potentially then go on one. To me, things like conversion rate to experience or you're a lot closer. Right. A depth right. of exploration right. Right. is more intriguing to me as as a marketer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean no, I, and that yeah. That's exactly that's a kind of we don't have a like a great CRM tool, but we that's what we need is to figure that out. Because right now we have we know how many people went to events. We know how many people bought the book. We know how many people are going on trips. We know how many people are at the website, but we don't know how one gets to the other. Yeah, and linking those things. But yeah. I wanted actually just to, to dig into that, into the kind of website question is like, why have a website? So one of the things I think why Atlas Obscura in particular has a website is that so much of what we do is actually created by our users. So the entire Atlas, this compendium of places, which is much of what we do online, it, users started all of that. They contributed all of that. And we had this amazing moment with it. So we published a book this fall. Which, um, by the way, gets crazy reviews and, right? I mean, yeah. crazy reviews. Lena Dunham, like tons of people have said this reinvented what travel should be. Yeah, it was. it's a pretty – That's a, a mean, glowing that's endorsement. Pretty, it's a good book. I'm, I mean, I don't th- I'm not quoting her. I'm just saying that there are so many people who have said mm. to that effect, that's what this is. Right. I think Lena's actual line was, this is the only thing that makes me get out of my house, <laughs> uh, which is, which, <laughs> which I love. Like, I yeah, love that great. line. But the, so that book was a bestseller before it came out because we pre-sold, we, we told our audience about it. We told the people on the website, pre-order this book. This is a book that our users had written. The things that are in the book are things that they contributed. Mm. They bought a book that they had written. 
Do you start doing a rev stream with them? We should start doing you a rev stream. You should do. Well, no, I mean, the rev like, stream the is, that we, is that we put out a beautiful book and that we, we made it useful and that, that we are giving them, you know, we're doing events with them. I mean, we, we are constantly looking for ways to give them these rich experiences. But there is a sort of virtuous cycle, and the web is an important part of it because the web is the place we give them to contribute content. Do you think that adds to your credibility? It's like this buy me for me sort of um, model in that there's many travel mags and sites and destinations that and exist. talent and yeah yeah i mean everything from airbnb having the potential to become a content platform to travel and leisure so the user content is a key part of it but with one we have to edit it so it needs sure. to be improved so it needs editing and the other is that we supplement it with professional content and stories that we can go out and find which have made the audience still bigger and made you know People want to sign up for emails, and it, it creates a whole new richness to what we're doing. So I think it's I think um, the balance. Then. The, it's a balance. I mean, it does mean our cost of content production is lower than it would be if we were pure professional journalism play, and that that's a good position to be in. But sure. I think we need both pieces. You know, what I want to see. I want to see Atlas Obscura have the ability to go from see this cool thing and do it now, like right now. Like if I was Foursquare, I'd buy Atlas Obscura. Are you listening for something? <laughs> I mean, that's, heard really what first. <laughs> that's actually really what they need, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's what they should have become. Was or a, Airbnb. W- was I mean, they talk about that platform. too. Yeah. yeah, but I think Airbnb, love Airbnb, would swallow Atlas Obscura up and make it something that it's not. What I think that you guys could do is have this immediate, like, I want to do this now. I want to go see a show now, right, like right. underground this. I want to take the six train now. I want to do this right. now. I want to buy the ticket now. And I think like on-demand experience is really the next kind of step in also in commerce, yeah, right? Like yeah. having commerce and experience come together for this like amazing, That's you know, a- Really great idea. Are you writing it? Down? I am writing, He's it, down. writing yeah. it down. Um, so don't worry, it's recorded. The, we, had, we had a we had a kind of like a, a very um, beta, extremely like so beta. We barely let it out. Thing called we called missions, which was we tried to do that. Which was it wasn't just here's a place. It was here's something you can go do, do now. Now, do you know how many people say all the time like I'm bored? Do you know how many how many friends, times do I say that to you today? <laughs> tons. If something stopped you in the middle of your tracks and said. You can go do this now. Here are eight things right. that you can go do now. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. yeah. That's I, a that's a extremely good idea. Well, that's why we do what we do. So in this in this <laughs> shared economy, I mean, do you think that the Atlas Obscura model leans into this shared economy? Obviously, we have shared services like Uber, the Airbnbs, the world, et cetera. We actually, from a colleague, just learned of this new app called Cool Cousin. Are you familiar with that? Have you them? heard of yeah. Cool Cousin? Yeah. So similar to what you're doing, but more from a host and yeah. like guide standpoint versus like actually immersing yeah. yourself and unpacking It's like an expert down a certain vertical. So right. like one of our colleagues is a food. He's like the foodie of New York City. So that's what he yeah. like. T- he does, you know. So how do you see Atlas Obscura playing in the shared economy? Do you think it gets to a place where you can exchange experiences for non-transactional things? or Can you see, like, some of your contributors actually... Um, bartering experiences. Bartering experiences, right, exactly. Creating their own revenue streams off of Atlas Obscura. There was a great... Um an example of that, which is that we did an event last year. We have this thing called Obscura Day, which is on May 6th. Mark your calendars. On May 6th. Writing it down. All over the world, we 
it's our international day of exploration. So we do 200 events all over the world on that day. And one of the ones we did in New York last year was this person who actually in their apartment has all these Victorian electronics. So I guess during the 19th century, there was, you know, they had electronics. It was early electronics. And this person has this collection and demonstrated all this stuff in their apartment. Um, And it was this idea that there's kind of people with secret knowledge and secret expertise and they want to share it. And we, we, give a platform to as many of them as possible. But I like the idea that people can start to do it themselves, create it themselves. Yeah, I mean, you've got a whole sub revenue stream then of people kind of branching off and then becoming their own sort of like self-organizing. Yeah. Explorer or uh, obscure evangelist, I guess that that can create. I mean, I see a huge partnership with you and Meetup with Atlas Obscura and Meetup to be able to do something like this. It would be amazing. I mean, the potential for brands to use you is like totally unlimited in that there are so many ways so like when you talk about international you know explorers day like are brands like patagonia and gopro reaching out to you to integrate their products in ways that are actually tangible and useful in an experience versus just badging that day we should they should they should be by badging she means like slap a logo on it right right so what I'm just curious to get your uh, take, having been in this world for a couple of years, like what are people most interested in in travel? Like how has it evolved with technology and the sort of platform you've created? Has it shaped it? Yeah, I think I think um, people are really interested in kind of off the beaten track experiences. And and some of it is some of it actually I think is slightly one upsmanship. There's a lot of like I've been there, look at my Instagram, look where That's I've been totally and you true. Haven't, haven't been there. And so so part of it I don't like, but part of it is is the sense that um that thanks to technology, thanks to you, you know, improved travel, you can now get to places where you couldn't get before. And it's a genuine curiosity of of saying like, well, it used to be it used to be that everyone thought I've got to see the Eiffel Tower and the Tower of London and Mona Lisa. Uh, Mona Lisa before I die. And now people, I think, don't. I think people. You could see that through a digital, virtual, yeah, they don't et cetera care. Experience. They don't care. And like going to see the Mona Lisa is awful. It's a terrible experience. It's super crowded. <laughs> Have you been there? On, it's yeah, terrible. It's terrible. And yeah. you, 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 if you, you know that if you had an alternative experience in like some weird place outside of Paris, it would be a better experience. So I think people are looking for things that are more bespoke and unusual. Things that and, you and, can't typically get access to, I feel like, is something that is more valued these days than, to your point, the mainstream right. tourist stops. Right. right. I think that's exactly right. And also, the, one of the things that's happening is that is that because of Asia's getting so rich, there are these tons, like wealthy, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are tons of, uh, I mean, there have been tons of Japanese tourists, but now Korean and Chinese tourists who are in 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 Europe, and so there, it's like there's just a lot more tourists. In places which there where there've been fewer tourists, and so there's a spill-on effect where where people who who have tourist experience are looking for really unusual and different places to go, and that that uh, we think is is a huge opportunity. And like you know, it, and, and people sometimes say like, "Well, you have Atlas Obscura, aren't you worried that all these weird places are going to be ruined?" And our view is like, no, like, ruined because of what? Because, because of suddenly foot people are going to find them. And it's actually much, much more the case that what happens is that places that don't get visited die. They get That's abandoned, right. and forgotten and disappear. And what you want is actually for these places, these wonderful, weird places to be celebrated and found. Did you guys ever cover? This is totally random, but I was obsessed with this. So remember um, Finding Sugarman? Did you remember that? Do- okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. At the, 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 the musician. In right. Detroit. 
But I was like really obsessed with Detroit culture because of Finding Sugarman Uh and like just all the stuff that was happening. This is the time with like the Chrysler comeback and like all of these things. I've just moved into brainstorm mode because you you do this to me. So what Alexa just described, I think is an amazing product opportunity and it's how does atlas obscura move into the search bar of experiences that's right so when alexa thinks about finding sugarman and i think about finding tony soprano (laughs) what are the experiences that i can go in and ask atlas obscura to curate for me to go after that and i think that is the quintessential moment of digital and discovery and search linking up with real-world on-demand, on-demand experiences, experiences that I can go do right. tomorrow. That's right. where I was right. saying, like, the fo- whole Foursquare thing. I was like, oh, if I'm right here, what can I do right now? But I love the, like, search the search bar for experiences. experiences. Yeah. I mean, I that's we just really... gave you a new tagline. <laughs> I mean, I think that's really, in, in a lot of ways, um, who... If I said I want to see Atlas Obscura become something, I'd say... It, you become that. So can you tell us a little bit about how you're infusing technology to that point? So like you are 11 years in the making, a podcast star in and of your own right. How are things like audio and um, other forms of things like augmented reality, artificial intelligence playing into the experience world? Because Alexa and I are bracing for this time in our industry where the interface is going away. Right, Right. And so you are poised to be at the forefront of that. What does technology look like in your world? I mean, there's a couple of AR apps that we've talked to, and we think there's like a great, you know, whatever the Pokemon Go is for adults around history and experience to replace. There are some apps that we've looked at that seem really cool that look at sort of historical experience and allow you to kind of place yourself in places if you have if you have a good idea for that. We'd be yeah. So you and I, I want to go into a little bit. You said the founders said that everyone's got an explorer in them. I would argue that that's not true. I would argue that people generally are... My mother's lived in the same place for f- almost 60 years. My grandmother same was town. the same way. Mm-hmm. Like, my parents, very similar. But I would argue it's not true unless engaged in the right way. And I would love to know, right now, when you look at your audience, who are they? Well... Um, Do you want to argue? You're going to say, I think you're wrong! <laughs> no, I mean, I've, I've lived all my life in Washington, D.C. I grew up there, and I still every... Not every day, but every month... I discover something surprising about this place, which I know intimately. I mean, the reason I ended up working at Atlas Obscura, taking this job, was I had left Slate and I was just looking around. I went for a bike ride with my daughter um, down in a part of Washington. I never really spent much time in. I saw there's a bike path in Anacostia, which is a poorer part of the city. And so we went on this bike path. And I noticed as we were on this path, which was kind of like a crummy path, it wasn't that fun a bike ride honestly but that everything we passed it was we went through fort dupont park and fort mahan park and fort wallace park and, and i was like why is everything called fort, fort. <laughs> and so i went back home and i was like why is everything called fort and i looked and if you put your finger on the Capitol and then sort of draw a circle around washington maybe three or four miles from the Capitol, everything's called fort there's fort totten fort stevens battery kimball and it's like, oh, these are the Civil War defenses of Washington, D.C. I was just going to say, yeah, yeah. Totally. But there's no forts there. It's like all gone, except there's one spot. And so a couple weeks later, I went out for a walk with my family in the woods up a mile from where I grew up, off a very busy street, off the corner of Military Road and Oregon Avenue. You walk into the woods, into Rock Creek Park. You're in deep woods. You go a couple hundred yards. 
and there's a tiny little path off to the right. You take this tiny little path off to the right, off to the left, actually. And you go another 50 yards into the deep forest. All of a sudden, there's a moat, and then there's these earthen walls that are 20 feet high. And you climb up in these earthen walls, and you realize, oh, this is a ring. Wow. And this is Fort Derussi. This is like a wow. fort. It's in the middle of the fucking city, <laughs> like right where I grew up. And it's just this incredible place. And it turns out it has an amazing history. It's where, you know, the, there was a very important battle fought that fended off a Confederate invasion in 1864. N- very little talked about, but important battle. But nobody knows it. Nobody experiences it. So I, so yeah, I think even access. your, you know, yeah. your relatives, your grandmothers are, uh, well, what you may- just said, yeah, it is totally inspired. This, this thought in my head as you're talking is like the furthest my mother's explored is the Jersey shore. Mm-hmm. And I, and I say that in all sincerity. A loving way. In a loving yeah, way. But and, that's not a bad thing. And it's not a bad thing, but creature of habit, 60 years, same town, born and raised, uh, raised her family there, continues to live there. How can brands help reach the the fruit on the tree that is not low hanging, mm-hmm. which are people like her who don't necessarily have the ambition or maybe the financial means or whatever the case may be to go to see the Mona Lisa, but can get out in their neighborhoods right. and find forts and right. feel and and you know what happens what did you feel when you ex- like discovered this it was like it, fuck yeah yes it's literally it's literally <laughs> right? fuck yeah it's and, fuck yeah and i now take groups on t- i take groups to this fort because it's so fun and people are like holy cow i'm seeing a next show but we want barb <laughs> laura's mom to f- go yeah. fuck yeah but see the right? other yeah. thing is that barb may know so the other piece <laughs> of it is like you asked to the audiences and i think the audience is people who are passionate about things in that that sense of like they are enthusiasts and i bet that barb has like she has some deep knowledge of some aspect of her world and her community there's somebody whose history she knows or some place that she knows just intimately right. and as much as we are about people traveling to the farthest flung and like having some like distant remote experience we're also about people like connecting deeply to any place like you can connect deeply to the place that well, you that's are where i think it's so we're role. like wagging our fingers right yeah. now because that right there to me brands local communities brands local communities and making people have a sense of life and a sense of like excitement pride and and pride and pride pride. pride. it is pride right that they didn't know even existed that to me is like amazingly exciting yeah so let's pivot into david plotz the podcaster and Can we just call you Platzi? <laughs> Platzi. <laughs> one of many nicknames. That's the least awful of the many nicknames. Okay, good. We'll go with we'll that. With that. Um, and talk to us a little bit about 11 years in the making as a podcaster, what you've seen this industry become and what you're excited about or not excited about. I mean, I'm incredibly excited about it. I love podcasting. I just love it. I, it's one of the things when I was at Slate – Andy Bowers, who you guys we know love. and work with, and Andy created this podcasting world in Slate. No one knew what podcasting was. I mean, it was literally the year that podcasting was invented, and Andy saying, this is the future, you've got to try this, and we didn't know. We were like, sure, whatever, Andy. Yeah, fine. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> but he was so absolutely right and prophetic about it. And and so, um, to me, uh, what I love and what I think is is profound about it is that it is the most intimate medium it is medium where you when you hear someone's voice in your ears 
And when you hear someone's voice in your ear buds, it's not even ambiently like like when you listen to the radio, it tends to be sort of ambient around you. But yeah. with earbuds, first of all, you've made an explicit choice to listen. Like you can't yep, right. not opt into a podcast. You have opted to listen to it. And with the plotsy voice, I mean, how could you not opt in? I mean, you in? actually just made me want to go like, ah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and then it's and it's right in your ears. And it's, so it creates this intimacy. And television is, is a distancing medium. Print, you don't make this human connection with people um, because it's whoever writes it. It's like just you know whatever and digital is digital is ephemera digital is flashing across right so quickly podcasting is unbelievably intimate and therefore you have human connections with people i don't know if this has started to happen to you guys yet but you're going to meet people who know you because they listen to you and they hear your voice and they'll hear you and they'll be like oh it's laura and not because you know anything about them but they know you and they've connected to you and that is a powerful connection that's why the ad rates are so high can i ask you a qu- can we ask you one last thing so we have yeah. this thing this series and this was actually a piece of your advice and after we talked i was like oh my god laura we got to bring it back so there's this you remember have you ever heard of the game I feel like you're too intellectual. Fuck Mary Kill. Yeah, kill, kill fuck, fuck Mary. But yeah. Um we like Really? It. Yeah, it just That's rolls the off the tongue. No, better. it's fuck Mary Kill. Maybe. Cam. Cam, is it fuck Yeah, well, Cam says fuck Mary Kill. We say kill, kill fuck Mary. And it's yeah. our show, so it's okay. kill fuck Mary. My wife and I played a, an hour long game of the other night. Kill. We were walking, we were going to a concert. We were walking <laughs> to a concert. We were just like it was so much fun. Okay, so we're gonna do that though for marketing brands technology media with you okay Okay. so it's kill what would you kill what would you just get rid of what would you strike from the earth david plotts what would you do yourself right and what would you buy i mean i would definitely kill facebook definitely okay facebook was dead okay when we talked a lot on this podcast about sort of real experiences i think facebook is the champion of separating you from real experience like creates pretend experience when where there should be real experience and it also has had this dire effect i think on journalism and media okay i buy that all right what would i uh would you buy what would i buy i would buy uh this american life i think this american life does what it does better than anything it has created we are all children of this american life in the way that we're almost children of nothing else i think it's it's created how we do stories how we think about stories how we listen to stories um more than anything so i would I, agree that's an awesome answer and would agree with you and and, and i so think ira about, call plotsy if yeah. if you want to make a deal to, to, to be bought uh yeah. and then i, I he oh. could buy me actually yeah, and true. then what what would i do <laughs> buy all of us what, what would you do, do yourself what would you i do, do it better do myself because i would do it better is um American soccer. Like, I'm a huge soccer fan. Ah, I'm just so disappointed. You just hit You just hit a pesh point of Miss Laura Carrenti <laughs> over here. I played soccer at American University in did Washington, really? D.C. Did you really? I did. You went to AU and played for I, them? One's an eagle, always an eagle. Wow. Uh, what would you do differently about American soccer? Well, it's just, it, there's a huge fan base. There's a huge participation. There's an enormous love for the game, and yet, the quality of the league and of the national of the MLS and of the national team continues to be low. I think that is a huge issue with the MLS organization. You have a Hispanic Latino community that turns out for um, international games more than they do their own home team. 
the league does not understand how to put the right folks in marketing in these pockets of communities that truly understand them. So I could go on about that forever. I love it. But um, anyway, David Plotz. Thank you for coming. Thank you for oh, coming. It's super fun. If you thank haven't you. already, please go check out Atlas Obscura. We're expecting a lot from Atlas Obscura. I hope you know. I mean, I saw you break out the iPhone with some ideas that we wrote down. Uh-huh. I, we want to come and... And see these happen. So, so David, how can people get in touch with you if they have more interesting experiences or ideas they want to share with you? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter at David Plotz, and I'm also David at AtlasObscura.com. Awesome. David Thank Plotz, you. everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Um, that wraps this week's episode of Atlandia. A few people we need to thank. Cameron Drews, our producer. Laura Mayer, Matt Turk, Andy Bowers, and our team at Panoply. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. Tweet us at Atlandia Podcast. Like us. Leave us a review. Send us your thoughts. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Full disclosure, our opinions are our own. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.